Amen. It's all about the cross, all about Jesus. It's been told that an atheist became incensed over the preparation for Easter and Passover holidays, and he decided to contact the local ACLU about the discrimination inflicted on atheists by the constant celebrations afforded to Christians and Jews with all their holidays, while the atheists had no holiday to celebrate. The ACLU jumped on the opportunity to once again pick up the cause of the godless and assigned their sharpest attorneys to the case. The case was brought before a wise judge who, after listening to the long and passionate presentation of the ACLU lawyers, promptly banged his gavel and declared, Case dismissed. The lead ACLU lawyer immediately stood and objected to the ruling and said, Your Honor, how can you possibly dismiss this case? Surely the Christians have Christmas, Easter, and many other observances, and the Jews have Hanukkah and Yom Kippur, and yet my client and all other atheists have no such holiday. The judge leaned forward in his chair and simply said, Obviously your client is too confused to know about, or for that matter, even celebrate the atheist holiday. The ACLU lawyer promptly said, We are aware of no such holiday for atheists. Just when might that be, Your Honor? The judge said, Well, it comes every year on exactly the same date, April 1st. <laughs> it is Proverbs 14.1, and Pro I'm sorry, Psalm 14.1 and Psalm 53.1 that says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Well, I think it is the epitome of foolishness to not believe in God. That's not the thrust of this new series. Rather, I want to expose and offer a cure to another form of atheism, which is equally foolish, if not more so. And that is practical atheism. Theologian, author, and pastor R.C. Sproul said, What is deadly to the church is when the external forms of religion are maintained while their substance is discarded. This we call practical atheism. Practical atheism appears when we live as if there is no God. The externals continue like what we're doing today. This is external but man becomes the central th thrust of devotion as the attention of religious concerns shifts away from man's devotion to God to man's devotion to man, bypassing God. The ethic of Christ, he says, continues in a superficial way, having been ripped from its supernatural, transcendent, and divine foundation. The atheist believes, or at least claims, there is no God. The practical atheist affirms the existence of God, even claims to believe in God, but lives as if he doesn't exist. This is an even greater threat to the church than outright atheism, because many practical atheists make up the modern church. These are those who join the church, say they believe in God, even claim to be saved, yet live day to day virtually ignoring him. These could be the CEOs, Christian Christmas, Easter only crowd. It could also be those who are here Sunday after Sunday. 
According to the scriptures, it's the fool who says there is no God. But with God's help, I want to show you that it is also the fool who says there is a God, but lives like there is no God. The practical atheist is just as much a fool as is the true atheist. This morning I want to share with you five evidences, actually one. The series will contain all five. I want to share with you one evidence of a practical atheist. If you find that any of these over the course of the next several weeks fits you, and it doesn't have to be that all five is true of you, if one of these fits you, then you're guilty of being a practical atheist and a real fool and possibly not even a born-again believer. For you see, even the demons believe that there is a God. James 2.19 tells us that. The demons believe, but tremble. Even the demons know who Jesus is. The Bible says in Luke chapter 4, verse 34, that the demons looked at Jesus and said, We know who you are, the Holy One of God. You may be here today and you believe in God and you know that there is a God and you say you believe in Jesus, but you live every day apart from Him, ignoring Him. The only time you think about Him is Christmas, Easter, and Sunday. Maybe when you're in trouble, maybe when something's going wrong in your life, you turn to God. But otherwise, you just go about your merry little way you live like there is no God. When it comes to make decisions, you make your own decisions based on your own wisdom. You just do things all without God. That's a practical atheist. And if you find that this fits you, you must humble yourself. You must confess your sin and unbelief before God. And you must repent of your sin and come with a genuine heart and devotion to Christ. Otherwise, even after coming to church every Christmas, every Easter, or even every Sunday, you could wake up in hell, along with trillions of others who believed that there was a God, but lived as if he didn't exist. Jesus said, there will be many that say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not? And you just fill in the blanks. But he will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. Practical atheism. It's not atheism that's the main threat against the church today, friends. It's practical atheism. That's the real enemy. That's the one the devil wants to keep our eyes off of. It's not the one that says there is no God. In fact, I've only met a handful of those. But I've met too many who say they believe in God. But their lives tell a different story. That's the real threat against the church today. I want to give you evidence number one. If you're living as if there is no God, evidence number one is no accountability. That is that you live your life and you do whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it, because you believe that God doesn't see. Oh yeah, maybe subconsciously you know that there is a God and He watches over, but, but God, even if He sees, He overlooks. He, he excuses my 
misbehavior, or he excuses my sin, or he, he knows that I'm only human. I'm, I'm not going to have to really give account to God for, for all of that. Because after all, I'm saved. I'm under the blood, right? And, and God doesn't hold me accountable for the things I do down here. Friends, that's, that's a practical atheist. You're living as if you don't have to give account of your life before God. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 50. Verse 16. But to the wicked, God says, What right have you to declare my statutes? Or take my covenant in your mouth. In other words, God is saying that there are people who are wicked at heart who are still trying to claim His word as their authority. But they're wicked at heart. He said, Seeing that you hate instruction and you cast my words behind you, when you saw a thief, you consented with him and have been a partaker with adulterers. You give your mouth to evil, your tongue frames deceit, you sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I kept silent. And sometimes we think that God's silence means consent. But I can keep living like this. I keep getting away. And he just gave a few examples here of some things that, that the wicked at heart do. And, and they think they're getting away with it. God's silent. God's not judging me. Everything's going good in my life. Then he says, you thought I was altogether like you, but I will, future tense, I will rebuke you and set you or them in order before your eyes. Psalm 1018 says, why do the wicked renounce God? Because he has said in his heart, you will not require an account. It's foolish to say that there's not God, but maybe it's easier to say there is no God than to believe that there is a God to whom you must give account. You see, I really think that's the nature of all atheism, true or practical. It's easier to say there is no God than to admit that there is a God to whom you must give account. It's easier just to live your life like you want to live it without any regard to the fact that you and I are going to stand before God one day and give account of the stewardship of the life that we've lived, yes, even as Christians, we will give account of our lives. How much more foolish and wicked to believe there is a God, but to live as if He doesn't see how I'm living. He doesn't care how I'm living. He simply overlooks how I'm living. He simply excuses it, and, and I really am going to get away with it in the end. At least I'll go to heaven. Maybe. If that's your philosophy, then you probably won't, quite honestly. Because you see, Jesus Christ doesn't just come to save you from hell. He came to save you from sin. Okay? Do you believe that? Will there be any sin in heaven? Okay, so he's not talking about your life in heaven. If he came to save you from sin, what life is he talking about? Here. Here. And so, my friends, if you didn't accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior from sin as well as from hell and make Him the Lord of your life and seeking to live for Him, you're not going to be perfect. You know that. I know that. God knows that. But the direction of your life is you're trying to live faithfully for Him. You're not thinking 
I just want to live like I want to live. I want to get away with what I want to get away with. I want to do what I want to do. And God's one day, I'm going to get to heaven. It's all going to be okay. Friends, if that's your mindset, I'm afraid you're probably not saved. Now, I'm not the judge. I'm taking the word of God. And, and, and you need to examine your heart. Paul told the Corinthians, examine your lives. Examine yourselves. Hold your life up to the word of God. Not to somebody else's life. You may look at somebody else and go, well, compared to that guy, I'm pretty good. Don't compare yourself to that guy. Who do you sh should you compare yourself to? Jesus Christ. In comparison to Jesus Christ, there's none good. No, not even one. How do you get to heaven? Brian just sang about it. The old rugged cross. The only way you can be forgiven of your sin is through Jesus Christ. The only way you can be a new creature. The Bible says if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things, that old life has passed away. All things have become new. You have a new direction. You have new desires in your life. You're not that same old person. 1 Samuel 25 tells us of a man who lived a foolish, unaccountable life. His name, Nabal, in fact, means fool. This passage says that Nabal was harsh and evil in his doings. His own servants called him a scoundrel. And listen to what his wife said about him. This is his wife, the one who knew him best. Talking to David... She said, this scoundrel, Nabal. God forbid that my wife ever call me a scoundrel. Have I ever acted like one? You betcha. And the husbands, I, I uh, counsel you, I wouldn't use that word on your wife either. This scoundrel, Nabal, for he, she says, as his name is, so is he. Foolish. Nabal is his name, she said, and folly is with him. Now, what had Nabal done? You know, Nabal's wife was Abigail. Abigail eventually became David's wife because I'm going to tell you the rest of the story in just a moment. But Abigail, the Bible says she was lovely and wise. The scripture says that she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. Now, listen, what happened was that David's men asked Nabal to provide them some food, some shelter, some support. And this fool, Nabal, said, no, I'm not going to do that. And uh, was very ugly about it, very negative. And David decided, I, you know what, I'm going to go and wipe out his whole family. Now, David was reacting in anger. What, that would have been a foolish thing for David to do. But he says, you know what, I'm going I'm to go take this fool out. I'm going to wipe him out and his family out and all his servants. I'm going to wipe him out. Well, Abigail got word from one of the servants and said, here's what's going to happen if, if we don't do something about it. Well, Abigail, because she was wise, she went and prepared a meal. And she made it all happen. What Nabal wouldn't do, she did. And then here's what the, how the story closes. Abigail went to Nabal, and there he was holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. Therefore she told him nothing, little or much, until morning light. So it was in the morning when the, wise, when the wine had gone from Nabal, and his wife had told him these things, that his heart died within him, and he became like a stone. Then it happened, after about ten days, that the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. 
Here was a man who didn't think he had to give account for his life. He could treat people however he wanted to treat them. He could live an indulgent lifestyle. He could refuse to share with his own brothers who were out there uh, needing help. And he's acting like a fool because he is a fool. And he doesn't think he's going to have to give account to God. But one day, God said, that's enough. And took him out. Now listen, maybe you are truly saved. But if you're living without God, be careful. You may reach a day one time when God says, I love you, son, but you're messing too many people up in that world. I'm going to bring you on home with me. And then I'm going to straighten you out when you get there. <laughs> Some agree in their minds that this isn't true of them. That they know they're accountable to God. But their life tells a different story. For example, some church folks, some Christians, are living in rebellion. Well, I'm sorry, let me go first. Living in Proverbs, because I don't want to miss... Bobby up back there, he's following me along with here, living in immorality. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 5 that that's foolish. He says, and if you read the whole chapter of Proverbs 5, it's all about the peril of adultery. And uh, he closes that whole chapter challenging Christians to live faithfully with their spouses. He says in verse 21, The ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. His own iniquities entrap the wicked man, and he is caught in the cords of his sin. He shall die for lack of instruction, and in the greatness of his folly he shall go astray. God says it's foolish to live a life of immorality. In chapter 7, again, it's the context is immorality and, and avoiding the, the way of the harlot. And he, towards the end of that chapter, verse 21, he says, With her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. Immediately he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks. Till an arrow struck his liver as a bird hastens to the snare, he did not know that it would cost his life. Now, therefore, listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For she has cut down, cast down many wounded, and all who were slain by her were strong men. Her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. In chapter 9, again, he warns in verse 13. He says, A foolish woman is clamorous. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat by the highest places of the city to call to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Whoever is simple, which is another word for foolish in the Scriptures, let him turn in here. And as for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Nobody's going to know. But he does not know that the dead are there that her guests are in the depths of hell. You know what God is saying about sexual immorality? Listen, it's in the church, and it shouldn't be. But if you're involved in any kind of sexual immorality, including pornography, listen, that's a fool. 
and you think that you're not accountable to God? You think that because your wife doesn't know, or your husband doesn't know, or the pastor doesn't know, or nobody else knows, that, that God doesn't know? And that God's not judging you now? That God's not going to discipline you now? Do you think that? That's a fool. But see, there are many who know that, but they're in rebellion. See, there are many Christians in rebellion, not just in immorality, but all sorts of rebellion against God. Proverbs 15, the Bible says in verse 5, A fool despises his father's instruction. A fool says, I don't care what you say, Dad. I don't care what you say, Mom, Granddad, Grandma. It don't matter. I'm going to live like I want to live. I don't care what that preacher is preaching from the pulpit. I don't even care if he's quoting scripture. I'm going to do what I want to do. And there are people in the pews that have that mindset. We just got to sit and endure it for 30 minutes. If we can get out of there in 30 minutes, we can get out from under the guilt. We can get out from under the pressure. And we can go back to living like we want to live without. Listen, you don't get away with it. You're accountable to God. Even if you're not saved, you're still accountable to God. But especially if you are saved, you're even more accountable to God. Because he's not going to let his followers, of, his followers get away with that kind of life. He's just not going to do it. It's a fool that thinks they will. The Bible says in verse 20 of Proverbs 15, A wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish man despises his mother. He says in chapter 14, verse 9, fools mock at sin. Fools mock at sin. I know it's a sin. I know that my parents don't agree. I know that my grandparents don't agree. I know that my church doesn't agree. I know that my pastor doesn't like it. I know that my wife doesn't doesn't really appreciate this, and I know that my husband... But you know what? I don't care. And yeah, it's a sin, but it sure is fun. Fools mock at sin, as if they don't have to give an account. Listen, every one of us here today, every one of us, will give an account. We're accountable. It's not the person out there that says there is no God. It's the person sitting right here this morning who's living in sin and thinks they're not going to they're get away with it. Thinks they're going to get away with it. Thinks they don't have to give account to anybody. That's the fool. That's the real danger to the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 26, Sermon on the Mount, He said, Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken to him a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was his fall. Listen, if you're building your house on rebellion, it's going to fall. It ain't a matter of if, it's a matter of when, but it's going to fall. Jesus said so. Amen? Or oh my. Oh yeah, that's what the preacher, that's what Jesus said, that's what the Bible said, but it don't apply to me. That's a fool. 
Well, just in case I've missed anybody, I bet you this one will catch you. Actually, it's the Lord that does it, but I'm, believe me, the finger comes back this way. The finger comes back this way. You know, as I prepare this and as I think about this, I, you know, every time I teach and pray, I think, Lord, you know, I see evidence of, of some of this even in my life. And God, I, I don't want to be like, I, I don't want to live like that. So here's, what, here's one more. Christians and their mouth. Proverbs 12 says, Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. My daddy used to say stupid. I think he still does. That's just stupid, he would say. You know, when we were growing up, we weren't allowed to say stupid. How many of you let your kids say stupid when they were growing up? We didn't. Now, as they got older, it was just stupid not to let them because they just, anyway. <laughs> but it's in the Bible. He who hates correction is stupid. Some of you this morning, you feel corrected, you feel rebuked, and you hate it. Well, you're stupid. <laughs> Sorry, it's what the Bible said. A good man obtains favor from the Lord, but a man of wicked intentions he will condemn. A man is not established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous cannot be moved. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. Amen. But he who causes shame is like rottenness in his bones. The thoughts of the righteous are right, but the counsel of the wicked are deceitful. The words of the wicked are lie in wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright will deliver them. You ought to read Proverbs 10, 12, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, all about the mouth. I don't have time to go into all those passages of Scripture about the mouth. But listen, how, you know, we claim to, to know Jesus. We claim to, to be followers of Christ. But what comes out of your mouth? You see, you, you, you gather here, and we, we join together, we lifted up praises to God, but, but then we walk out of here, and we, we may gossip about our brother or sister, or we, or we may curse, or we may uh, tell dirty jokes, or we may engage in all kinds of filthy, corrupt communication. We may lose our temper and say things we, we know we shouldn't say. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 11, A fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. And same thing in verse 20, do you see a man hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. You say, well, I just speak my mind. Well, you know, you're a fool. The Bible says you're not supposed to speak all your mind. A wise man holds it in. Listen, if I said everything that came to my mind, ain't nobody here would like me. <laughs> not even my wife. She wouldn't take me home today. You're not supposed to say everything comes to your mind. That's foolish. That's stupid. So, but we're Christians. We don't have to give account for that, do we? Jesus said, Matthew 12, 36, I say to you that every idle word men may speak, they will give account of in the day of judgment. The Bible says in Romans 14, 12, each of us shall give account of himself to God. Hebrews 4, 13 says, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Listen, it is a fool, it is a practical atheist who says, I can do what I want and get away with it. 
That's living like there's no God. That's practical atheism. And it's one of the biggest sins in the church today. It's tearing the church up, in fact. It's the reason we're such a terrible witness. And when I say we, I don't mean Dawson Street Baptist Church locally. I mean the church in general. The church, the the Christians in general. Let me show you from God's Word why this version of practical atheism is so dangerous. Why living an unaccountable life, what it will lead you to. So turn with me to Romans 1, and we're closing. This is the conclusion of this message right here. I just want to show you why this version of atheism, or this version of practical atheism, this unaccountable life is so dangerous, and what it will lead you to. In in Romans 1, by the way, Proverbs 1 and Romans 1 kind of go hand in hand. Look at verse 28. I'm, not, I'm going to have to pick up with Romans 1, 28. Boy, it's hard to pick up there, though, because it leaves the context out. But look what it says in, in verse 18 and 19. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what may may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. Now, uh, look at verse 28. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Now, the atheist says there is no God. The practical atheists just don't want to think about Him. They believe He's there, they just don't want to live like He's there. They don't like to retain God in their knowledge. God gave them over to what? What if God were to do that? What if God were just to say, you know what, if that's the way you want to live, go ahead, have your way, but leave me out of it, and, and I've drawn the line in the sand, and you can't come back. That's what a debased mind is. You no longer have a mind and a heart that desires the things of God, and you never will again. What if God just turned you over and said, okay, that's the way you want to live, go right ahead. He did that for Israel. That's why Proverbs 1 and Romans 1 go hand in hand. He said, I, I stretched out my hand, you refused. I called, you, you ignored over and over, they just stiff-armed God. God says, all right, I'm going to turn you over to your own way. That's why we see verse 29 and 30 and 31 happening in this world today, and even in the church, unfortunately. Sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-minded, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, Disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, yeah, I know in the back of my mind I'm going to have to give account one day. Who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do them, but also approve of those who practice them. Well, I don't do it, but it's okay if they do. Uh Uh-uh. No, it ain't. Let God be true and every man a liar. Verse 2, verse 1, chapter 2. Therefore you are, what's that next word? I can't quite read it. Say it again. I don't think everybody said that. What's that word again? Inexcusable. What does that mean? No excuse. You're going to give account. Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. 
You know, it's funny how when we sin, we look down our noses and somebody sins something worse. But it's the same heart. It's the same wickedness. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you suppose, or do you despise the riches of His goodness, His forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? And here's what that verse means. Well, I can do it again because God will forgive me again. You have despised the goodness and the forbearance of God. You're tempted and you go, yeah, I really want to do it. Mm, Y'all go ahead and do it. God will forgive me. I'll ask him later. You're despising the forbearance of God. You're not under grace. You're still under grace, yes, but you're also fixing to face judgment. But in accordance with your hardness and your unrepentant heart, you're treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath is coming. Tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. Pick up with verse 16. In that day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Indeed, you're called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God. And you know his will and approve the things that are excellent being instructed out of the law. And are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. That's a load. When I live for Lee and do whatever I want to do, I don't care if God, I don't care what God says. I don't care what somebody else says. I'm just going to do what I want to do. I'm, I'm storing up wrath for myself. And I am, dis, I am causing the name of Jesus Christ to be blasphemed among the unbelievers. I am contributing to true atheism by my practical atheism. And yet we want to march in parades that say, yes, there is one God, but yet by our lives we live as if we are God. And we don't have to give account. And friends, the church today is responsible much for the real atheism outside of our walls because they don't see the real God making a real difference in His people today. It's practical atheism that's the big problem. No accountability. No accountability. I'm going to get away with it in the end. 
No, you won't. No, you won't. What's the remedy? The remedy, to, the remedy for no accountability is to surrender yourself to the authority and the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's to humble yourself and say, I am not God. It's to admit that you have been living that way. You don't read the Bible. You don't pray. You don't repent of your sin. You don't feel guilty for sin. You, you just live and, and you think about God every now and then. You need to repent. You don't have to confess that before the whole church unless God tells you to. But you need to repent before God. And you repent means you confess that to God. You, you bring it out in the open and you say, God, this is how I have lived my life. I have lived without you, yet claiming to know you. And I have caused your name to be blasphemed among the unbelievers because there are people who know that I'm living this way, yet claim to be yours. And that's causing you to be blasphemed. And oh God, I'm sorry. Break my heart over my sin. And God, I surrender. I humble myself before you. I place myself under your authority. I submit to you as my Lord and as my Savior. Will you please forgive me? Listen, if you come like that, He will forgive you. It doesn't matter what you've done. Yes, He will forgive you. But He doesn't want you to come like that today and start all over sinning tomorrow. Going right back to what you did because what you do here today he said, if any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. He's going to develop in you a new life, a new desire, new drive, new direction unto him. See, even if you're a church member, even if you think you were saved, and maybe truly you are, but you've been living as if you aren't, quite frankly. Just start from square one. God, I've got to come back to square one. I need to really nail down my salvation, that I'm really yours. And I want you to make a real difference in my life. I want to live for you. I want to be a living testimony to those who don't know you and claim you don't exist. I want to be living proof that you do exist. Let's bow our heads. You talk to God. Maybe tell Him some of the things